because God became a man in Christ, you can have eternal hope. You're listening to Wonder Lake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at wlbiblechurch.org. Now, here's Pastor Dan Cox with today's message. Okay, how many of you, when I put those words up on the screen right there, there was a melody that came into your head? How many had a little song come into your head, right? It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, right? And I'm not going to sing it all for you now, but that is the song right there. So now there is an old song that we often hear this time of year. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. And I'm not going to sing it for you. I know some of you are disappointed by that, but uh, some of the lyrics are, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas everywhere you go. Take a look in the five and ten. I usually hear five and dime, but this is five and ten because we needed it to rhyme with glistening once again, right? Uh, With candy canes and silver lanes aglow. Toys in every store, but the prettiest sight to see is the holly that will be on your own front door. There's a tree in the Grand Hotel, one in the park as well, the sturdy kind that doesn't mind the snow. Soon the bells will start, and the thing that will make them ring is the carol that you sing right within your heart. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas everywhere you go. So candy canes, toys, holly, Christmas trees, bells, carols. Add to all of that parties, family gatherings, delicious treats, gift exchanges, colored lights, snow, favorite holiday movies, memories of years past of Christmas. Anything wrong? Anything wrong with any of those things? No, nothing, nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves. But while we can and should enjoy those things, it is important once again to remind ourselves, though, of the most important of all, the true meaning, Shelley, which is what? Jesus. Jesus, Jesus Christ. That's right. Christmas is all about Jesus. It is celebrating his coming into our world and providing the greatest gift of all, our eternal redemption. So as we begin another Christmas season, let's endeavor them, shall we, to keep him front and center in our hearts and to be the focus of our celebration. So Christmas 2023 will soon be upon us and to that end then, our sermon series will once again tell that old familiar story but remind us though of how much we have to celebrate in Jesus, our Redeemer. Well, what is Christmas then? It's not all of those other things we mentioned, that's okay. But really, what is Christmas? Well, Christmas is a celebration. It's a celebration of when God became a man in order that he might rescue us from the curse of sin and death. It is at the heart of God's grand story of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, willingly left his glorious heavenly throne And he humbled himself by taking on human flesh. He lived a life of perfect obedience to the law of God. He offered himself up as a sacrifice for our sin. He died and was buried. And on the third day, he rose bodily from the grave, victorious over the curse of sin and death, and appeared to many. 
He instructed his followers to proclaim the good news and to watch faithfully for his return when he will fulfill all his kingdom promises, render final judgment, and then make all things new. And because God became a man, we can have eternal life, peace, hope, light, and joy forever. And he is most worthy of our praise. So when someone asks you what Christmas is, just memorize that and tell them right there that that's what Christmas is. Christmas is a celebration of when God became a man and why he did it and what what that means for you and me and the blessings that there are in that. So that is Christmas. So I'm calling our series here this year, Christmas is the story within the story, the story within the story. And our first one here is God's grand story in Ephesians 1, 13 through, or Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. And what is the big idea? What do I want us to take away from that? Well, that is this, that, that because God became a man in Christ, you can have eternal hope. Because God became a man in Christ, you can have eternal hope. I want to first talk about God's grand story. God's grand story. Grand story is a meta-narrative. Who's familiar with that term meta-narrative? Isn't that a, that's something, okay, Don, I knew you would be, right? So a meta-narrative. Don had asked you to explain, but uh, then, you know, I'm sure it'd be 10 minutes later then we'd get back to the sermon. Not that you would do something like that to us. There you go. It's the big story. It's the grand story, the overarching theme or story, right? Very good. Excellent. So yeah, so a meta-narrative or a, is a grand story. It's defined as the overarching story or storyline that gives context and meaning and purpose to all of life. One author says this. It says, it is the big picture, the all-encompassing theme that unites all the smaller themes and the individual stories. Now you say that, oh, okay, but let me give you a very practical example then of a meta narrative, a, a physical thing that helps to explain what we mean by a meta narrative or the big story, the grand story. Uh, when you're building a house, there are many workers all that come together there to do their individual jobs, right? So you have some who are doing plumbing. Some who are doing sheetrock, some who are doing electrical work, others are doing roofing, some are painting. Uh, But all of these contractors, for all of this work that they are doing, they're working toward the same thing, which is what? To complete a house. They're building a house. And so the blueprint of that house, that's the big picture, that's the meta narrative that gives meaning to each of those different workers jobs and what they're doing. And so in the same way, there's all kinds of things that are going on that are happening in our world here today, but they're ultimately going toward an end. There's a purpose in that then. So the concept of a meta-narrative or the grand story, the big picture, is similar to a worldview, you know, the way that we look at life, the lens through which we view everything that happens, what is important, what is true, why, why are we here, where are we going, you know, all of that. It's similar to that then. And, but it, it, it helps us to interpret or understand everything that's happening in life. 
some various meta-narratives or big stories out there. One that uh, many of us had thought was going to go away, but has actually come roaring back with a vengeance, is called Marxism, right? Marxism, which is what is this idea that life is a constant political and economic struggle between the haves and the have-nots, the wealthy and the poor. And this, this is what human history is all about, is the struggle then between the haves and the haves-nots. We see versions of that now coming out. We have something called critical race theory. How many of you are familiar with that term, critical race theory? Well, in contemporary critical race theory, this is the idea that everything is viewed through this lens or this picture of history is all about the oppressors and the oppressed. It's all about op- that some people oppress other people and everything is to be understood in, in predominantly racial terms then for that. Now, at this point, some of you are saying, what in the world does that have to do with Christmas, right? I may want to raise your hands and say, what in the world are you talking about? What does, that have, what does any of that have to do with Christmas? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Except this. See, those are all human grand stories. Marxism, Freudianism, free market capitalism, enlightenment, emancipation. These are all some of the grand stories that human beings have have made up to explain what's happening and where everything is going. See, those are human grand stories, but God also has a grand story, and it's the true grand story. This is the true overarching theme or storyline of history that gives context, meaning, and purpose to all of life. So what is God's grand story? What's it all about? What is he doing? Well, it is this. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Ultimately, we would say, what's God's grand story? The summing up and the uniting of all things in his son, Jesus Christ. That's the blueprint. That's where everything is going to. But it's a story of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Creation, what? We were created by God in his image, right? That God has made us to be like him in certain ways. And he placed our parents, Adam and Eve, were placed in a paradise, a garden. And they were given a test of obedience. God gave them this place and he said, what, you may eat of any of the trees of the garden, all that you see here except for one. This one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? He said, you may not eat from that tree because in the day that you eat of it, then what will happen? You will surely die. So they were given a test. Would they obey God or not? They were given that ability to obey or disobey. How'd they do on the test? They flunked. They failed. Epic fail, right? Yep. They failed that test, and they fell into sin. And as a result of that, they brought death, a curse, physical death, spiritual death, And they brought death into the world and a curse of futility upon all of the creation. But was God defeated at that moment? No, because God had, 
He had a plan of rescue all along. He had a plan that he would send a savior to redeem or to buy back, to rescue human beings from the curse of sin and death. And so God the Father then sent the Son, the Son of God, to take on human flesh, to become one of us, like us in every way, to unite humanity to himself. Truly God, truly man, one person with two natures, a divine nature and a human nature. And he, Jesus Christ, stood in our place then as a redeemer. Just as Adam stood in our place as our first representative and failed the test, Jesus came as the second man, the second Adam, stood in our place, and there, did he fail the test of obedience? No, he succeeded where Adam failed. He passed the test. He lived a life of perfect obedience to the law of God. And he then took upon himself the punishment or the penalty for our sin, for our failure, our failure to obey the law. He was punished for our sins on the cross, and he died in our place. But was that the end of the story? No, it was not. He died, he was buried, but then he rose again on the third day in victory over death and the curse. And he appeared to his disciples and many others over a period of 40 days. He instructed them to proclaim the good news of his victory and to make disciples, that is, followers of Jesus. And this task then has been given to the church and will continue until when? Until he comes again. And when he comes again, he will fulfill all of his promises of the kingdom. He will judge all people from all time. And then he will make all things new, forever ridding the creation of the curse. And until then, we must remain faithful, patiently waiting for his return as we go about the task of making disciples. So creation, fall, Redemption, restoration, that that is God's grand story. Well, you might ask, well, what does that have to do with Christmas? And the answer is quite a lot, quite a lot. Everything, isn't it? Because that's what Christmas is all about, is God coming into this, God became a man, came into this world to enact this wonderful story of redemption and restoration then. So Christmas then is a celebration It's a celebration of when God stepped into human history and he became a man. And because God became a man then, we can have forgiveness, eternal life, peace and hope, light and joy forever. And he is most worthy of our praise. Amen? Amen. Amen. So before we look at our text in Ephesians chapter 1, a little context here. This is the Apostle Paul who is writing his letter to the church in Ephesus. He was under house arrest in Rome at this time. And he was writing to them in order to remind them of all the incredible blessings that they had in Christ and to instruct them then and how then they ought to live as followers of Jesus Christ. So those first three chapters are all about are a good doctrinal teaching about who we are in Jesus, what we have in Jesus, what Jesus has done for us. And then chapters four through six, how then ought we to live 
as faithful followers of Jesus. So in this first part, it is, uh, Paul had a tendency to ramble a little. Any of you ever know any preachers that might ramble a little bit? So there's a few out there, you know, that have a tendency to do that. And so Paul had a tendency to do that. You know, when we think of Paul writing these letters, how many of you know Paul didn't write these letters in the sense of sitting down with pen and paper and writing them out and writing them out? Now, he was the author, well, the human author. There was also the divine author, the Holy Spirit, right, who is the, inspiring this. But he what? What did he do when he wrote these letters? What was he really doing? He was dictating. He was speaking them. And so how many of you know as you're speaking, sometimes you might have a tendency to kind of go on a little bit. You get a thought that leads you to somewhere else, that leads you somewhere else, that because you're speaking, it just kind of goes on and on, whereas writing kind of brings in a little more of that discipline to stop, period, next, right? So we see that sometimes with Paul in his letters, where you can tell he's just, he's thinking about something, and it's just leading to this wonderful flow of thought in his mind under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so our passage here today, believe it or not, in the original language of the New Testament, is what, it's one in Greek, it is one sentence. One long flowing sentence because it's his stream of thought under the inspiration of the Spirit as he's thinking about who we are, what we have in Christ. So let's listen to this. Paul writing to them, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, by the way, how many of you are glad this is not one English sentence here, right? But in him, that we're still going one Greek sentence here with us. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Amen and Merry Christmas, everyone. We're going to look at some of these blessings that we have in Christ here. 
what God has done for us in Christ. But before we look at those things, I want to talk for just a moment about faith in Jesus Christ. See, all those wonderful things that we have just read about and we're going to talk about, many of you I know, you have received all of these blessings and you look forward to those things that yet remain. Some of us, perhaps we have not received this. And the key, the key then to receiving all of these blessings in Christ is what? Faith, faith in Jesus Christ. Faith is the key that unlocks the door to all of these blessings in Jesus Christ. And so when we talk about faith or the biblical term to believe, to believe into Christ, what do we mean? You know, in our Sunday school class, we've been talking a little bit about that, about what does it mean to believe and how belief in the biblical sense is a little bit different perhaps than how we use it in our everyday language. You know, in our everyday language, to say you believe something, we're tending to think in terms of what? Of our, of our intellect or our thinking process. We're, we're agreeing on an intellectual with something. Yes, we, we think that that is true. We believe that. I believe that uh, uh, the United States, the Declaration of Independence was signed in what? 17... 76, right? I believe that. Well, I think that's true. So we can believe certain historical facts. We can believe things were mathematical principles and truths. We can believe a number. We can believe a story that someone is telling us. We think that it is true. Well, that's a part of biblical belief is thinking something to be true in our minds. But it's more than that. It is also what? Knowing and it's what it's trust in. It's entrusting ourselves to the reality of that belief and what that means. It's personal trust or confidence, not only in certain biblical facts, but also it's a personal trust and confidence in a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe that he is. We believe that he is the son of God, that he is God in the flesh, that he came into this world, that he lived a perfect life for us, that he died, he suffered for our sins on the cross. He died, he was buried, and he rose again. He's coming again. We believe those things in our mind, but we also, though what? It's a personal relationship of trust in him and the truth of all of those things. And so faith, Belief in Jesus Christ, it's personal, it's trusting in Christ. Trusting in the facts of his life, but also trusting in him as a person, putting our confidence in him. And when we believe in that sense, there's some pretty radical things that happen in our life as a result of that, isn't there? So the key to all of these blessings is faith in Jesus Christ, the key that unlocks the door to all of these blessings in Christ, biblical faith. So what are these blessings? Well, in Christ, we're told what? In Christ, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. In other words, God has given you everything good, everything that you need you know, for salvation and to walk with him, to grow in him. Everything good has been given to you and provided. Has God left out anything in your salvation. Now, every spiritual blessing, he's given us all that we need 
to be right with him, to live for him, and we're going to receive untold blessing upon blessing then. Every spiritual blessing, all, every conceivable gift of redemption that we receive has been given to us through being united with Christ by faith. God the Father, he is the, rigi- the originator and the source of every spiritual blessing. And all of these things is in Christ. So again, there's the key. It's Christ. He's the key, isn't he? And our faith in him, being united with him, lockstep with him in his life, his death, and his resurrection, that all the blessing that God the Father has for his son, Jesus Christ, are given to us because we are in him. The scope of our blessing is Christ and all that God blesses in him is ours. And so through our union with Christ, our identification with him, we are eligible then to receive all of these untold blessings. And these are spiritual blessings. These aren't just earthly things, but these are spiritual, eternal blessings. Notice he says, it's past tense here, has blessed. We have been blessed with these things. So there are elements of our salvation that we do not yet experience right now, but we will because God has given it to us. It's simply a matter of time before we experience them in their fullness. We experience some in part now, but then later, what in fullness, face to face in his presence then. Every spiritual blessing is ours in Christ. He has not withheld anything good from us and for us then. He did this when? Before the foundation of the world and eternity past. What? Every spiritual blessing. Where? In the heavenlies, in the spiritual realms. How? In Christ. We're united with Christ then. So in Christ, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. In Christ then too, you have been chosen unto holiness. You know, oftentimes we we get into, there's a, a lot of debate about this that goes on sometimes in churches about what does it mean to say that God has chosen believers, that he has elected believers. Well, here's what I can tell you for sure. And that is, whatever you might think on this issue, and there are believers who have different perspectives on this and how this works, what we can say with absolute certainty is that before God made anything, he already knew you, he already loved you, and he already purposed to bless you in Christ. And he chose you, he elected you, he chose you unto salvation. And how does that work? Is that something God has sovereignly done or something that he sees, foresees faith in people? How does all that work? And to which I say, you guys can study that through and figure that out for yourself how you think that works. But the bottom line is, is before God made anything, he already knew that he was going to save you. That he already loved you. And he already knew he was going to save you. And he already knew that he was going to bless you forever and ever. And whatever you might think about how that works with God's sovereignty and human, human free will, whatever you may think about all of that, that is true. Before God made anything, he knew you. He loved you. He purposed to save you forever and ever. That's wonderful news, isn't it? And so before the foundation of the world, he knew you, he loved you, he chose you, 
but he chose you unto a purpose, that you were going to be made holy. You were chosen unto holiness. That is, that you were going to be made holy and righteous and blameless before him. Because remember we've said that heaven, in heaven, for anybody to go to heaven, you have to be perfect. Right? And that's how it has to be because if you're not perfect, is it heaven? No. What, is that, what does that look like then? Looks like this world, right? Would you want to live forever and ever in a world like this? No. So you have to be perfect. But none of us are perfect. What are we going to do? God did the work for us. He was perfect for us. And he gives us his very own perfection as a gift. It's incredible, isn't it? So before anything was made, God knew you, God loved you, he chose you unto salvation. And he chose you then to become holy, righteous, perfect as he is. And that's a gift that he gives you. When do I get it? Well, in part, right now. The moment you believe, you're given that gift of perfection. But I don't experience that perfection. No, but you will. When will you experience it? In his presence, right? When our spirits are, when we die, when we're separated from these mortal bodies that contain the sin nature, we stand righteous and holy and perfect before him as a gift. Wonderful gift, isn't that? So you were blessed with every spiritual blessing, left nothing out. You were chosen unto holiness to be righteous and blameless before him. You were also then predestined to adoption. Again, before God made anything, he had determined that he was going to make you his child. In those days, uh, as Paul was writing this Roman adoption, when we think of adopting, we usually think of like, Babies or young children, right? Sometimes even teenagers. I'm seeing where I've seen some stories in the news about people adopting teenagers. But usually when we talk about adoption, we think of it as, as, as babies or, or young children. And the Romans would do that. But did you know that actually they would also adopt adult adults to be like, a, say, a, a Roman father who had no heir might adopt a young man who had no father? To, he would adopt that young man and that young man then would become his son in every way and with all the legal rights and privileges and blessings that go with that, he would become that man's son, his adopted son. And so that, 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 uh, that imagery is used here to draw upon that to say that, that God has adopted us as his sons, as his children with all the blessings that come from being a child of this parent. What are the, the blessings of being a child of God? Well, how much time do you have, right? But as a child of God, you've been adopted for that before God made anything. He knew you and he determined to adopt you to be his child with all the blessings that go with that. You have been in Christ, you have been redeemed. You have been redeemed by his blood. To be redeemed means what? To be bought back. To be redeemed by his blood means to be bought back, to be purchased by him. Um, all of these blessings weren't free. 
Had to be, you know, a lot of folks now seem to think that everything in life ought to be free. <laughs> but it doesn't work that way, does it? There's a cost. So what was the, all this incredible blessings we've been talking about, what was the cost? The blood of Jesus. His sacrifice for us. So we're redeemed by his sacrifice. That was the price God the Father paid for you and all of these things that he purposed for you was the sacrifice of his son. So in him then what you have been forgiven, you have been forgiven of all of your sins. To be forgiven means to be released from punishment. See, God is holy. God is just. He must and will judge all sin. If he did not, then he would not be a truly just God. Now, some of you might think you, you might, might draw back from a little bit of that, but I want you to imagine uh, we live in a world where we live in an, a world of imperfect justice, don't we? Uh, imperfect as our system is, would you want to live in the world where there was absolutely no justice whatsoever? Can you imagine that? Where there were no police officers at all, there were no judges or courts there were no prisons or jails (laughs) would you want to live in that world no I wouldn't either you want justice but oftentimes we what we want justice for somebody else maybe we don't want it for ourselves but if but if there's going to be justice for somebody else there has to be justice for us too right So God is perfectly just. He will judge all sin. Well, we've all got a big problem then, right? Because we're all sinners. But God is love. He loves. Yes, he is. He's also love. So what did he do? He paid the penalty for sin himself. And because of that, he can forgive. He can release you from the punishment for your sin because he paid it. He paid the price. So you have been released from eternal judgment from sin in Christ. You've been informed of the grand story. You may think, what? What in the world? What do you mean informed of the grand story? Did you know that one of the blessings that you have is that God has let you in on and you know this story and you know what he's doing and where everything is going? You've been enlightened about certain Scripture uses the term mystery, things that were you know, not clearly revealed in the Old Testament but have now been revealed in, in the New Testament to us. And one of those mysteries was is how God was going to unite all people, Jew and Gentile alike, together in one body in Christ, this great mystery. And you've been let in on that. You know that God is, is, is ultimately working toward the uniting of all things in Christ. That's the grand story where God is taking everything is that it's all about Christ being united in him, in his redemption, and him receiving the glory forever and ever for that redemption. You have been brought in on this mystery then. You know the grand story. You've also been given an eternal inheritance. All these rich blessings beyond our imagination. And he works all of these according to the counsel of his will 
to the praise of his glory. When we praise, we're speaking well of. So we are speaking well of God and his wisdom. And we're praising him, giving thanks to him for all that he has done in this, in the enacting of this grand story. Finally then, you have been sealed, sealed with the Holy Spirit. To be sealed was a mark of ownership. Through faith in Jesus, who do you belong to? You belong to God. You belong to Christ, right? And the Holy Spirit is the mark of ownership and the guarantee of your inheritance, the promise that God is going to finish everything that he started. The moment you believe, you receive all of these blessings, but we don't experience all of them all, all at once, do we? But we will experience them. And until then, the Holy Spirit in you is the God's promise that he's going to finish what he started that you belong to him and you will receive all of the inheritance until the day that you comes that it, the day comes when you do experience it all then so christmas then christmas is the story within the grand story another little uh, passage from galatians 4 i want us to look at for just a moment also by the apostle paul here galatians 4 verses 4 through 7 Speaking of the birth of Jesus, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Isn't that a wonderful little summary of what we've just read right there in, in uh, Ephesians there? Almost as if it was the same author, right? So, no, it was. So what is this saying? It's saying that God the Father sent the Son, born of woman, to redeem you, to adopt you, and to bless you you forever and ever that's the true meaning of christmas that's what christmas is all about it's a celebration of that so what because god became a man in christ you can have eternal hope you can have all of these blessings all of these promises through faith in christ so I'll conclude by just a, a couple of things here. One, I would say, if you have not, receive. Receive the Son. When we say receive, biblically, we're talking about believing, trusting in Christ. He is a gift. And what must you do with a gift? Well, you can either reject it, turn away from it, or you can do what? Receive it. Accept it. It's received by faith. Trusting in him. Receive the Son and all that he did for you. And then, because it's Christmas, keep Christ in Christmas, right? How many of you have a little bumper sticker or a magnet or something like that? You, know, you have one or maybe you've seen it, right? Keep Christ in Christmas. Again, I have no problem with some of those other things. I enjoy the lights and the cards and the get-togethers and the gifts and all of those things. But what's it really about? It's celebrating the story within the grand story. 
It's celebrating God becoming man in Christ in order that he might purchase our eternal redemption and give us eternal hope. And that is worth praise, praising him, isn't it? So let's pray. Father, thank you for these incredible rich blessings that we have in Christ. I know, Lord, that uh, I am not worthy of it. None of us are worthy of these things. But these are gifts of your grace. You have done this, Lord, in order that you might receive the glory and the praise and the honor. And so we do praise you, Lord. We do give you the honor here today. I pray, Lord, that this Christmas that we would keep Christ in the center of it all, that he would be what we are most of all celebrating this season. In all the days of our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information about Wonder Lake Bible Church, visit wlbiblechurch.org.